What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode four of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. At this point in the season, teams are starting to show who they really are. With offseason expectations setting a lot of these teams up for predicted success, reality is starting to set in. Supposed contenders are showing to be frauds, while lottery-ridden bottom feeders are showing the potential to be playoff contenders. This segment is called Reality Check. Here at Reality Check, over the next two episodes, we're focusing on those types of teams while also keying in on a few players meeting those same standards. If you are projected to take the leap but you land flat, you fit in. Maybe you were an afterthought heading to the season, and now you're showing all-star potential. Here at Reality Check, we'll cover it. This episode, we're focusing on the frauds portion, so there's really no other place to start than with the Los Angeles Lakers. The Los Angeles Lakers are the most talked about team of this year's NBA season. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers are 15-13, and 13, good for 6th in the Western Conference, as well as in the top 10 of the NBA. The only downside is, heading into the season, they were tied with Brooklyn for the best odds to win the championship this offseason, when they made a big-time move and a big-time trade to acquire Russell Westbrook by trading away KCP, Montrezl Harrell, as well as Kyle Kuzma. That has not led to the success of the team so far, as they've also missed time with LeBron James being COVID protocol, missing time with a little bit of a lower back, and this is kind of the time where they thought Russell Westbrook was going to shine. He is there to be an innings eater. He is there to be that supplemental star to LeBron as well as Anthony Davis, because LeBron, at this point in his career, we're at year 19, he's only worried about the playoffs. He's not worried about the regular season in any way, shape, or form. So for him, he just needs to get to the playoffs. He was planning on realistically only playing anywhere from 60 to 65 games. That's where he's played. That's where his target has been for the past three seasons. And he's been successful with it. He, he needs to save his body for the playoffs. And yes, I understand that's a great plan to bring in a you know third star in Russell Westbrook. But if you look back at all of his past teams, he has shooters. LeBron has shooters and defenders. And if you look back to their 2020 team, they were surrounded by shooters as well as defense across the board. This year, they are absolutely dreadful on the defensive end they are ranked 25th in defense when it comes to points per game they are averaging over 111 points per game allowed which is absolutely terrible compared to where they were in 2020 where they ranked in the top three they are also not spreading the floor like i said i've been a cavaliers fan for a very long time i've watched lebron james for a very long time he has taken absolute scrubs like sasha pavlovich and daniel gibson to the nba finals he needs to be surrounded by shooters Russell Westbrook is not a shooter. You traded away players like KCP, Kyle Kuzma. I know Kuzma didn't have the greatest percentages, but he's willing to shoot it. Very similar like a Draymond Green type. Montrezl Harrell, down low, great presence. But in that 2020 lineup, you had guys like Avery Bradley. You had guys like Danny Green shooting threes at a very high clip and effective, and it was working. I don't understand where that math and where that plan went wrong. You have 15 years of data showing that you surround LeBron James with shooters, now, all of a sudden, you bring in Russell Westbrook, play him 36 minutes a game, and here we are. How on earth does a lineup of Russell Westbrook, Taylor Horton Tucker, Malik Monk, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis spread the floor at all? Malik Monk, surprisingly, not shooting too bad. He's shooting just over 40%, but he's doing it in a very small clip. He's only averaging 22 minutes per game, and he's really not in the closing lineup. Then you have Carmelo Anthony, who, realistically, do you want Carmelo Anthony playing potentially 30 minutes a game in a playoff series? Not at this point of career. Neither of those players bring anything on the defensive end. And Frank Vogel, who is a clear defensive-minded coach, has been taking a lot of heat for the unsuccess that they've had on defense. And it's 
really not his fault. Russell Westbrook has never been known for his defense. An extremely athletic player, but just doesn't have it on the defensive end. Really doesn't make too much sense to me. Westbrook has never been a third star. You look at his entire career when he was in OKC, when it was Durant, Harden, and Westbrook. It was Durant and Westbrook were the number one and number two. That's why Harden forced his way out. He believed he was a top player, and he proved that when he left. When Durant left, Westbrook held it down in OKC, won an MVP, and showed that he was the alpha dog. Paul George came in. It was him and Paul George. Whether Paul George finished number three in the MVP voting, Westbrook was still number two. He still felt that he was there. They brought in Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony understood his role. Three and D guy, well, three and whatever his defense was. That was his role. Then he leaves, goes to Houston. It's him and James Harden, number one and number two. Then he goes to Washington Wizards. Him and Beal, number one and number two. He has never had to put his pride aside in order to win. He has always been a number one or number two guy, and it's always been on his terms. Now, for the first time in his career, he has to take a back seat to LeBron and Anthony Davis, and he is not doing well. He's not doing good. He's very inefficient. You see him right now. He is out here averaging 17 points, 7.5 rebounds, 8 assists. Stat-wise, great. When you're shooting 40% from the field, 32% from the free throw line, and averaging over 4.6 turnovers a game, you're not good. He's shooting 37% on wide open threes. Congratulations. League average is 42. He, like, no matter how you look at it, you can watch the game. You watch the offense. He's a black hole on offense. He completely stops the motion. He is a stat stuffer. He always has been. He's an, incredible ta- he's an incredibly talented player. He's a Hall of Famer. We all understand that he will be a first ballot Hall of Fame when it all comes. When it comes to winning basketball, he just can't do it. And now you're asking him to do a completely different role than he's ever played in his entire career. He can't do it. He just can't do it. That's why the rumors are already swirling. There have been reports from ESPN as well as from Woj that the Lakers are already starting to put out feelers of what does it look like for a Russell Westbrook trade. Well, for a player that makes 40 plus million dollars, the options are not that high. So they have started to dangle Taylor Horton Tucker as well. Apparently, more than a dozen teams are interested in Taylor Horton Tucker, according to Shams as well as Woj, saying, well, he's their only literal asset they have. I'm sure they can get something for him. But what does that fix? Where does that put you? You completely gutted this team from where it was from a championship caliber, and you went star hunting. They were inches away from making a Buddy Heald trade by trading Kyle Kuzma, Montrezl Harrell, and a second-round pick for Buddy Heald. That fits perfectly to where he was. I want to break down a little bit of when LeBron won. LeBron won two NBA championships when he was with Miami Heat. He had a big three, obviously, in Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. But if you look at that big three, it's currently where he is now. You have LeBron as the number one, Dwayne Wade is the number two. Currently, LeBron number one, Anthony Davis number two. All right, that's great. That third star was Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh really technically started the stretch four lineup for them as well as a stretch five and gave them so much lineup flexibility to where you could start Bosh at the five, you could start a player like Mike Miller at the four and not really lose anything. And you surround him with shooters and over and over and over. That's what you got. You surround him with shooters and that got success. That got you to three straight NBA finals. You won two. I'm sorry, four straight NBA Finals. You won two, you lost two. That's success. You had it. You have the formula. He goes to Cleveland. They trade Andrew Wiggins. They trade Anthony Bennett. They bring in Kevin Love. You have number one star LeBron, Kyrie Irving, outside shooter. 38% career three-point shooter. 
Absolutely incredible. One of my favorite players of all time. He's incredible when he's on the court. You go and get Kevin Love. Again, stretch four. Played a little bit of stretch five down the... Won a championship. Went to three straight NBA Finals with that core. Went to a fourth with him and Kevin Love. They surrounded with shooters. That's all you need. J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving. The list goes on and on. Shooters, 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 and defense. Why all of a sudden, in this man's 19th year, are you going to change the formula? Are you going to change the data? It doesn't make sense. The way this team is constructed, this team is not built to win an NBA championship. This team is not built to make it out of the first round. Unless LeBron goes absolutely super saiyan and Anthony Davis channels whatever the hell he was drinking in the 2020 NBA bubble. So until that happens, until he's able to channel that energy, this is not a team that's getting out of the first round. And you look at it, you know, the only chance that I see them potentially getting out of the first round is a matchup with the Utah Jazz, which I've made pretty damn clear that I don't think the Jazz will make it out of the first round. So that would be an interesting matchup just overall. But this team just doesn't have an identity. Another key stat is that while they're not shooting threes at a high clip, like I said, they're ranked 18th in the league in three-pointers made. They're ranked 20th in free throws made. They're settling for outside jump shots, and they're not being aggressive. So you don't have an identity. You don't play defense. You don't shoot threes effectively. And you don't get to the free throw line. Yet somehow this team is 15 and 13 because LeBron James is just that incredible basketball player. They need to figure it out, and they need to figure it out fast. Whether that is trading a player like Russell Westbrook or dangling Taylor Horton Tucker to stretch this floor, something has to give, and something has to give relatively soon, because before you know it, the trade deadline is here, and then decisions have to be made. The second team I want to get into is a crowd favorite, and the NBA is better when this team is good. But unfortunately, this year is not the case, and that is the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks were the absolute story of this season last year. They finished off with a home court number four seed, and everybody loved to watch the Knicks play. Tibbs got this team buzzing the whole season. They started off slow, then they made that trade for Derrick Rose, and Derrick Rose channeled every single emotion that he had from his old Chicago Bulls days, and he got this team running and ready, and they were so fun to watch. It was amazing. Besides the fact they started Alfred Payton, and he just would not move off of Alfred Payton, this team was amazing to watch. Julius Randle was a superstar. There's no there's no argument to be made. Julius Randle last year was a goddamn superstar. Second team All-NBA. He averaged 24 points, almost 10 rebounds. He was shooting 41%. He was taking step-back threes like James Harden. He was averaging almost over six assists. He was most improved player of the year. He was a dynamo. He was the engine that made the Knicks run. They didn't have a de facto point guard. Like I just said, they started freaking out from Peyton. We got luck at that regardless. But you're starting out from Peyton. Julius Randle had so much weight on his shoulders. RJ Barrett was coming into his own. You had Alec Burks. You have Derrick Rose. You have Emmanuel quickly slowly starting to find his niche early on as a rookie. You know, Nerlens Noel. Mitchell Robinson was hurt for most of the year. But like, it was amazing. It was just so fun to watch. It was unfortunate that Julius Randle had a very cold start to the playoffs. They lost in five to the Hawks. But that team goes as far as Julius Randle goes, and you kind of carry it over into this season, and it's kind of the same thing. You saw that they weren't able to score in the playoffs last year, and they weren't able to match the Hawks. So they overemphasized, but they got there on their defense. They were a top three defensive team last year throughout the entire season. They were incredible. That's what Tibbs is known for. He's always been known for that. They swung for the fences, and they missed real 
real bad. They brought the prodigal son of New York home, Kemba Walker, feel good story, gets bought out by the Oklahoma City Thunder, signs a very team-friendly deal to come to New York, ready to start, everything looks great, and he just bombs. They signed Evan Fournier. Evan Fournier kind of had a little bit of a down year toward the end. Once he was traded to Boston, Jalen Brown was hurt. It really didn't make sense. It really didn't fit. He was shooting well, still shooting over 40%, so he was that potential was still there. Goes out and signs this four-year with an AAV of $18 million, worth $72 million over the course of the contract. A lot of heads are shaking. Not a lot is getting there. Evan Fournier has never been known for his defense, so they're kind of swinging for the fences. So they start off with the starting lineup of Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson. That was good for the worst starting lineup point differential in the NBA until Tom Thibodeau a couple weeks ago came out and said Kemba Walker is not only getting benched, but he's actually being removed from the rotation completely. That right there is just pure character growth from Tom Thibodeau after riding Elver Payton into the sunset of a Game 5 loss. He benched Kemba Walker completely and said he cannot have this. Now, did he start Emmanuel quickly? No. He started Alec Burks. But progress. We're working on it. We're getting there. We're, we're trying our best. The Knicks lost their identity. They went too much for offense, and they really lost their defense. But it really comes down to Julius Randle. And it sucks when it does come down to a player like that because it puts a lot of weight on their shoulders. But Julius Randle was a second-team All-NBA player last year. That is the pure definition of what a superstar is. Like I said, that comes with the territory. You average 24, 10, 6, shooting 41% three, 46% from the field. If you don't match that, the number two player on your team is R.J. Barrett. He, unfortunately, is also regressing. He's going from 19 points to 13 points. He's not shooting anywhere near as well from, from three. He is taking a step back. He's only shooting 32% from three. He has flashes of superstardom when he has back-to-back 30-point games, six rebounds, six assists. He looks amazing that he can go out there and get buckets. This is the same player that was taking shots away from Zion back at Duke. And I know it's hard to judge him because he's only 21, but Knicks fans have expectations now. They saw home court advantage. They saw what that garden was like in game one. Like, it was electric. It was amazing to watch. I'm not even a Knicks fan, but it was just incredible to watch being here in the Northeast. But you got to figure it out. It's going to be tough. They have to make decisions. They have to kind of figure it out now. And the identity is going to be huge. If you're going to be that defensive-minded team and really get back to it, it starts in the back end. You have guys like Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel, Julius Randle is going to have to step and play defense. R.J. Barrett, I will give him credit. He came out into the season and said, I want to make an all-NBA defensive team. He is playing some shutdown defense on the wing. He's 6'7", 220. He has the size. I think he has the athleticism to play the two. His shooting needs to come back. But I think if you look at a potential future backcourt of Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett, that would be absolutely fantastic because R.J. Barrett can make up for some of the defensive deficiencies that Emmanuel Quigley has. But on offense, Quickly is a lightning rod. He has over five games this year where he scored double digits in the fourth quarter alone off the bench. That's incredible. That is dynamo-level scoring from such a young guard. He has so much raw potential, but Tibbs just does not like playing young point guards because they 
turn the ball over a lot. And yes, I understand that Derrick Rose was a young point guard, but he also was the youngest MVP in the league history. So we're going to put a little bias toward that, and we understand. It's tough. I think that, you know, it really comes down to Julius Randle, and they're going to go as far as they go. You know, right now, like I said, Knicks are 12-15. and 15. They're 12 in the East. They're 3-7 and seven in the last 12. They need to find the course, and I hope I hope that the Knicks don't panic and try and make one of those panic trades for, you know, a win-now star. I like what the Knicks have from a, from a youth perspective. I really like R.J. Barrett. Like I said, he's only 21. He has a lot of potential there. Emmanuel quickly. Kevin Knox made a spot start and apparently already started to get trade rumors. He is, again, he's only 21. He's in his fourth year. He's 21, turning 22 soon. He's incredible. He has so much potential just sitting there on the bench. Quentin Grimes, first start of the season, 25 points, seven threes. You have Miles McBride there. You have Mitchell Robinson. You have so much youth there for the Knicks. I hope they don't try and swing for the fences and try and go with this fast rebuild because they own their first round pick. They can go out there, potentially get a lottery pick, and just see where it goes. You know, do kind of what the Nets did pre Durant and Irving. You had the D'Angelo Russell, you had that team, Joe Harris, Jared Allen, so much young talent that just played together and got an identity. If the Knicks try and find that identity again, they will be a free agent hub again. They will be that guy. Julius Randle's locked in long term. If you get him a partner, somebody that's going to help elevate him and take a lot of that weight off his shoulders, he will be efficient again. He will be that all-NBA talent again. It, it's just going to be tough to ask R.J. Barrett to do that, and I don't think he's ready for that. I don't know if he'll ever be ready for that, but it's going to be tough. I'm excited for the Knicks' future, but right now, they're just, they're just not it. And coming in with the expectations of having home court advantage in the East, the East got a lot better this year. The Knicks came in and had a lot of expectations of being in that upper echelon, being that top four seed, being that top five seed, and right now being number 12, that does give them a big-ass reality check. Next on the list, Indiana Pacers. Indiana Pacers are a team that is always in the mix. They're always there. They're always somewhere in between that, you know, four seed to six seed. Sometimes they're in the top back in the Paul George, Lance Stevenson days, Roy Hibbert, but... This year was a little bit different. T.J. Warren hasn't played since four games and hurting his foot in 2020. So they really are missing you know, their, their bubble star back in the day when he was going head-to-head with, head head with Jimmy Butler. They bring in Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle is one of the most well-regarded coaches in the NBA. Rick Carlisle is a proven champion. He was honestly probably the last NBA coach that won a championship without a proven like big three. He had Dirk. He rode Dirk into the sunset. Dirk, Jason Terry, Jason Kidd, Sean Marion. These guys are, you know, none of those guys were superstars at their time besides Dirk. And Dirk was, you know, absolutely came down from just this everything and took down the took down the heat. But that's enough about that. He was brought in and the expectations is he's a win now coach. He's not there to develop young talent. He's not there to kind of, you know, grow the farm and, and just see where they go. Like he's there to win now. And they have win-now players. You think Malcolm Brogdon. You think Carries LeVert. DeMontis Sabonis. Miles Turner. They draft a 24-year-old rookie, Chris Duarte. You don't draft a 24-year-old rookie expecting him to sit the bench. Like He's going to play. He has expectations of he's coming in and making an NBA impact. But what else? They are 12-17. and 17. They are good for 13th in the league. 
that is rough. They don't have a single bench player that is up to snuff. T.G. McConnell lost every inch of fire that he had last year leading the NBA in steals. He looks like a lost puppy out there. Jeremy Lamb is making $10 million to shoot 33% from the field, 28% from three, and just get some cardio in. Torrey Craig is there doing whatever Torrey Craig does, and it, there's nothing there. There's, you know, they have Goga Bistia, the 13th overall pick in the Zion draft. He's just there. They're just hoarding big men for no reason. They don't have, you want to talk about not having identity. That's the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana, the Indiana Pacers have been looking at Miles Turner and Sabonis for three years now saying, what the hell are we going to do? And instead, they keep them. They just keep them both together and say, yeah, this will work. We'll just turn Miles Turner into a 3 and D guy. Miles Turner's led the league for in for blocks in two straight seasons now. Miles Turner is pissed. Miles Turner believes that he is way better than he what he's being used for, and I totally agree. Miles Turner has a career average of 12 points per game, and he's mainly shooting threes. He's being used as a stretch five, and it just doesn't make sense because he's way too talented. He is a defensive. He locks down a defense. He has a Clint Capella type impact for this roster. He just doesn't have the time to do it. He doesn't have the space to do it. He doesn't have the bandwidth to do it because Sabonis is there. Not a knock on Sabonis. The guy's a two-time All-Star. You would argue that he's the best passing big man in the league behind Jokic. He's an incredible talent. You don't see guys that can walk around averaging 12, I'm sorry, 20, 12, and 6. That's incredible. That is an incredible talent right there. But the main part of his game is in the paint and trying to stretch the floor. There's, there's no cohesion. There's no there's no flow in the game. Then you have Malcolm Brogdon trying to get in the paint, trying to create. Karis LeVert trying to get in the paint, trying to create. He's not really that much of a shooter. Brogdon's a pretty good shooter. He's about 36% for his career. T.J. Warren, when he's healthy, he's in the paint. What's the plan? Where are we at? Chris Duarte's out here just gunning from three, which is amazing. It kind of gives him a little bit of stretch, but where where's the identity? Where's the plan? That's the problem. There is none. The Pacers have come out and said, well, not them. The rumors have come out and said that they are ready for a full rebuild. They are listening for offers on essentially anybody that's not Malcolm Brogdon because he just signed the extension of the offseason. He's not, he's not eligible to be traded this year. So, Miles Turner, Karis LeVert, Sabonis, it's a free-for-all. Biggest offer. And it's about the goddamn time. If this were my decision, you trade Sabonis. You get the biggest haul that you possibly can, whether it's young players, draft picks, something. You need talent. You need a chance at a star. The GM of the of the Indiana Pacers came out and said we haven't had a star of an all-NBA level since Paul George and Victor Oladipo, which I understand. That is a slight on Sabonis, but Sabonis has not been an all-NBA talent. He's been an all-star, and I get that. But when you are Indiana Pacers and you're not a free agent destination, you need to swing for the fences. And clearly, this mishmash of players is just not it. It's not working, so you have to. To make a call you have to make a decision and in my opinion you have a budding all-star talent in miles turner a defensive cornerstone you keep him he's on a team-friendly contract for this year and next you can sign him for an extension you trade sabonis and you tank for that first overall pick there is a lot of talent in this year's draft i've said it before and i'll say it again you have chet holmgren you have paolo banchero Jordan Ivey, and the list goes on and on. But those three are going to be absolute superstars. If you can get one of those three players, you are looking fantastic. And all three of those players fit with Miles Turner's. All three of those players fit with Malcolm Brogdon 
Chris Duarte, Karis Levert, whoever is still left over, all three of those players will fit. And it would be incredible. And that is this one of the superstars that you need that would make Indiana Pacers go. And it would make sense. And it also accelerates your rebuild. If you get one of those players or a top five pick in what looks like another solid, solid draft class coming out, that accelerates your rebuild and gives you something to look forward to. You have young players, at least in your starting lineup. Like I said, the depth in your bench is absolutely atrocious, but it's about your core. It's about your starting lineup right now to build off of. And if you can pick Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner, and maybe TJ Warren when he comes back. I know his foot injury is, there's a massive question mark, and he's coming back from essentially two years of missing basketball after, he, after it's been announced that he's going to be out the entire year. You have to make a decision. You have to figure out, okay, this is our identity. Trade, rebuild, and let's get this bamboo going. And I think they can do that, but I don't think Rick Carlisle is that coach to do it. So a decision is definitely going to have to be made that, hey, I'm not here for this. Let him go after this year and really start fresh. I know it's tough having three coaches in three years, but if that's your plan, if that's where you're going to go through with it, follow through, make it happen. Let's get it going, Indiana. Last on the list is a news favorite, the Portland Trailblazers. Portland Trailblazers are 11-16. and 16. That is good for 10th in the West. They bring in a new head coach, Chauncey Billups. A lot of good expected to come from Chauncey Billups, says all the right things, does all the right things, we think. Neil O'Shea obviously got fired, a lot of scandal around that. All the Dame rumors, all the CJ rumors, it's the same old story every single year. They retool, quote-unquote, and bring in Cody Zeller, they bring in Larry Nance, they don't really do much, and they're in the same boat of 29th in in defense efficiency. They, Chauncey Billups, literally came out and said to reporters that he does not meet with teams after the game. Win, loss, doesn't talk to him. Talks to him the next day. Give him time to reflect. I may not have played basketball at a very high level. Besides, like, you know, junior college D3. That's insane. That is absolutely insane that a NBA coach just doesn't talk to his players after the game. Hyped up win, overtime thriller, or a crushing loss. Just, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Never heard of that. And I don't think that will ever work in any professional setting. But all the power to you, Chauncey Billups. Keep rocking. Let's see how that goes. The Dame-CJ marriage is over. The honeymoon phase is gone. It was gone a long time ago. You have to get rid of CJ. It's absolutely heartbreaking to see what happened with the punctured lung. Hopefully, hopefully he gets better and comes back to full health and he's ready to play another season because you just want to see that player play. But that needs to be broken up and it needs to be broken up fast. You don't trade superstars. When you trade superstars, it doesn't work. I've said it countless times over again. You have a superstar that wants to stay with you. He said he's 10 toes down in Rip City. Let him stay. Don't trade him. Build around him. That means if he's willing to stay, you have multiple years to do it. He's 31 years old. He said he wants to sign an extension that'll keep him there until he's 36. Why are you not rushing to give him the damn pen? Build around Dame for the next three to five years and just try. Get CG off the books. You can bring in a guy like Ben Simmons. See how it goes. You have the assets to do it. Make it happen. You can bring in a wing defender. You can do anything you want. You have a Fahrenheit Simons. Fahrenheit Simons 
is a younger version of C.J. McCollum. I'm not saying he will step up and immediately be that talent that C.J. is, but in a very small reduced role, Simons is averaging almost 14 points, almost four assists on great percentages of 46 and 39 from three. And he's keeping his turnovers down for a combo guard, and he's only 22. He has a lot of potential, and he's shown that he can play with CJ and with Dame. And he's got size. He's six foot five. He's not small like and thin like CJ and Dame are. He has a little size, so he can play that starting two guard next to Dame. Or keep him as that firecracker off the bench in that Jordan Clarkson role, and that's fine too. But that means you need Norman Powell to step down into that two role, play the guard position, which is what he's meant for, and then you have a great three-guard rotation of Dame Norman Powell and Simons. You're bringing a player like Ben Simmons. There's options to do it, and there are so many different trades that you can make in that role to bring in wing defense and actually focus on it. But it's not just that. You have to fix the back end. Dame's never played with a rim protector in ever in his life. Yusuf Nurkic and Cody Zeller are his centers right now. The Portland Trailblazers traded two of their own first-round picks to go get Robert Covington who is playing absolutely atrocious and just got benched for Nasir Little, who I think they should give a lot more run to, but that could be my North Carolina biased. Nasir Little is athletic, 6'7", is essentially a Roko build, but he's, you know, eight years younger. Give him some run. See how it goes. This You're not going anywhere this season. You're not winning the championship. And unfortunately, tanking doesn't do you any well because you don't have your own first-round pick. Just try stuff out and see how it goes because that's where you're at in the NBA season. When you're 11 and 16, you have the second worst defense in the NBA, just teetering over the worst. You are not going to make the playoffs. And if you do make the playoffs, you are going to get thrown out of the first round. It's the same old story. Make a change. It's an interim GM. I hope that he kind of does like what Kobe Altman did in Cleveland when he was the interim. They just he swung for the fences. He made trades after trades. He was trading Larry Nance. He traded Wade. He brought in Rodney Hood. He brought in Jordan Clarkson. He brought in Larry. He everybody. He traded everybody. But he kept. He kept the job, and that's where he's at. And hopefully, this new interim GM steps in, makes some decisions, builds around Dame, and actually gives him a supporting cast to build in for the future. Because you can't just think about this season. Think about the next and make some decisions. I do want to see Portland good. I want to see Dame in key games. He's so fun to watch. Thinking back to that playoff series where he hit that step back over Paul George from 35 feet out and just waved by to the fans. I mean, that is what the NBA is all about. Like, you want to see superstars shine. And Dame Lillard's a damn superstar, and I want to see him play. I would love to see Dame Lillard get traded to Philadelphia or get traded in New York and play in these big-time markets. But it's cool when the small markets win. It's cool when, you know, Giannis is able to lead a small market to victory. I want to see Dame in Portland have success, but it's going to start with making trades. This roster is not built for any type of success, and it's been proven over and over again. Blazers need to make a decision. They need to make it soon, and hopefully, hopefully let's cross our fingers that it actually happens. That about wraps it up for today's episode. Next week, we're going to cover a much more upbeat part of Reality Check featuring teams like Chicago and Cleveland who are blowing expectations out of the water. Super excited for that. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Courtside Views. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks a lot.